So today's question was about uh, studying in university. The meditator asked how to continue on at university when it's incredibly boring. This person finds that perhaps as they meditate more uh, that it's harder to stay focused on the school is is boring. And so the question is whether they should just note boring, boring, and of course the, the simple answer is yes. Just say to yourself, bore, bored, bored. Sorry, you wouldn't say boring, boring, because that's not being mindful. That's a judgment. You would say to yourself, bored, bored, because that's true. I'm bored. But to say that something is boring is not actually true. It's a judgment. It's not mindfulness. It's important to understand that distinction. But there's a deeper issue here. And uh, so there's two parts to it. The first part is that uh, there are many things that fall on the side of worldly affairs that get in the way of meditation practice. These are not things that are intrinsically distracting, like entertainment or um, oversleeping, overeating, that sort of thing. And there, there are some few things that are <clears throat> intrinsically distracting, mostly involved with indulging sensual pleasure, right? Because um, it, it diverts your attention away from finding a higher state of mind. Right? You become distracted and intoxicated by the enjoyment, right? Addiction, really. It's like when you have stress, uh, when, when you have a state, or ordinary state is one that's subjected or um, vulnerable to stress. But when you engage in any kind of addiction, the ordinary addictions like entertainment, let's say, uh, you, you, you leave that state of stress. Right? You're no longer conscious of the need to or the, the, the reality of stress and suffering. It's just pleasant. And so you forget all about uh, reality and, and objectivity, and there's no capacity to cultivate mindfulness and, and, and clarity. And because you're, you know, you're happy, you're enjoying, you know, everything's good, there's no problem. Uh, and of course that feeds your addiction, which makes things worse. And the only way you can um, really help overcome our, your attachment is to not engage in them, right? Is to live with them and to understand what it means to be attached, what it means to be addicted, right? But that's not what this talk is about. So beyond that, there are things that don't necessarily um, stop you from being mindful but they sure get in the way. You know, they're worldly affairs, and that's not the word we use. The word we use is, is obstacles or, or impediments. Right? They're, not, they're not bad or evil things. They're just very hard to do mindfully. 
of course, as you guess, one of them is study. Uh, there's ten of them, and so it's worth enumerating them because you could find many others, but it's a good sort of overview just to talk about what they are. So the first one is um, dwelling, right? Your, your, your home, your home life, you know, chores around the home. People who have big houses, luxurious houses, um, there's a difficulty involved in maintaining. You have to clean the house. You have to cut your lawn. You have to, um, well, you have to pay your mortgage and so on, that sort of thing. Um, but it, it, also luxury. You know, living in a luxurious accommodation when you have, um, if you have a television, if you have computer, if you have internet, uh, if you have just the luxurious bed. Uh, comfortable couches, this sort of thing. In fact, I would say on that front, um, most modern houses are, are problematic because just the comfort of having a nice couch, a nice bed, makes you complacent and lazy. You don't have to dwell with ordinary aches and pains because you have the, uh, the these nice plush couches. You have everything that you've, you've found, just the things that allow you to enter into a very comfortable and, and uh, pleasant state of, of being, which which is actually addictive, you know, it makes it harder for you to say sit upright, to stand, to walk, and so on. You know, for long periods of time you get achy and so you go and sit down or lie down again. Right? Uh, the second one is family, um, uh, families, which isn't quite what it sounds like. It, these are these are actually for monks, and this involves, let's say, um, some sort of specific type of socializing, or you get involved with um, society. Let's say getting, if we adapt it to lay people, it would mean getting involved in other people's affairs, getting involved with society, going out to you know, meet people, or or keep, keeping correspondence. It's not bad to socialize, to be involved in society and in going out for dinner with friends or keeping in touch or going to visit your neighbors or this sort of thing. I mean, it all actually can be quite wholesome at times, but can also um, be distracting, you know, when you have social ma social affairs. Uh, this is, um, let's just put this one up to socializing in general, yeah, because for a monk this would mean uh, getting involved with lay families, right? You you learn about their affairs and you talk to them and you you chat and and spend a lot of time socializing, right? Just with a lot of idle chatter, it can be quite an obstacle because you forget about your practice and you get um, you, you you're taken outside of yourself, right? Mindfulness very much requires us to be here in our own uh, space. Right, to be present, to not be have our minds outside, involved with other people's conceptual problems and, and issues and stories and hearing about how someone's trip went or what they're going to do, their plans. Very easy to get caught up in, in society. It's funny, I hear many Sri Lankan people go back to Sri Lanka thinking they'll do some meditation when they're there and they find that they have no time because of course there's family is so important in, in society that they, they're caught up going to weddings, going to funerals, just going and, and visiting, having to visit uh, other people, right? 
The third one is um, gain, or you could say possessions as well, but gain is just a big one, right? Our um, salary, our income, right? Worrying about finances, let's say, just generally speaking, having to worry about our possessions, our car, our um, telephone, worrying about um, needing a new computer or a new telephone or a new this, new clothes, nice clothes, um, worrying about affording the things that we we need and, and want, and just worrying about having enough food to live. It can be quite a quite an impediment to have to worry about uh, money. Well, I mean, I don't think I think this goes without saying. This. I don't want to understate how, how uh, much of a burden money can be. But there's not much to say, it's just it's one of those things that obsesses and consumes the mind, thinking about how much money I have, how much money I'm making. And then of course by extension the things that we buy, it's not just money. Because for monks of course we don't have money, but it's still very easy to get caught up in possessions, wanting this, wanting that hoping I get this, hoping I get that, even just hoping what food I get. Um, so, an, an important real, an important thing to consider. I'm just going to enumerate them, and then we'll talk a little bit about what to do, right? Or, or the ramifications. The third one, avus avasu takulanglabo gano. Gano refers to, <coughs> in the text, it refers to students. Uh, so let's put it at that. Anybody you're supporting, anyone you're, you have to look after, which can be a very wholesome thing. And as a teacher it's great to hear about the great things that, that come from your students, teaching them Dhamma, teaching them Buddhism, um, or, or just in general helping them out. Suppose you're you have friends who you're helping out and they have problems and you give them advice or problems and maybe you, you, you help them physically or, or with uh, material or this sort of thing. Uh, people we support, people we help, it's a great thing, but even still can get in the way of your meditation. It's very hard to focus on your own practice when you're um, always constantly involved. It's very easy to get caught up in wanting to get involved and help other people which can very much get in the way of your own practice. The fifth one is kamma, which doesn't mean karma, it, it, it means uh, work. Yes, work gets in our way. So, simply having a career, having a full-time job, what we're told, this is uh, an important part of life. I mean, even just practically speaking, in order to get the things we need, the things we want, and even the things we need, you need to get a job. But definitely it gets in the way. There's no avoiding the fact that having a full-time job outside of the meditation practice, it doesn't make it easy to be mindful all the time. And if someone were to say, you know, how, do you, how do you do all these things and still be mindful as well? The answer is, of course, that for the, practically speaking, you, you really can't. And if you really want to dedicate yourself, you have to find a way to overcome this or, or, or put it behind you and put it aside I mean come uh, even just work you have around the house it's very easy to get caught up in, in doing work it's easy for monks to get caught up in doing work that that ne doesn't necessarily need to be done 
sweeping the monastery day and night, uh, making sure everything is perfectly clean and neat and orderly. And I mean, it's important to, these are good things. It's important to sweep, it's important to clean, it's important to make sure everything's running smoothly. But it's very easy to get caught up in it. And the, uh, the Buddha discouraged monks from working too much, uh, from, from being caught up in even work, you know, because it's a distraction. Eventually it becomes a replacement. I could meditate, well, maybe I'll... That, that's, that's difficult. It'd be easier if I just did some cleaning. You know, that I can do, that I'm good at. Much easier. Very, much more difficult to be mindful when you're working, of course, because it's, it's more complicated. Uh, so that's five. Uh, the, fifth, the sixth one is adana, which means travel. Travel can be an impediment to the practice quite easily. Some monks are very fond of travel and, and get caught up in going here and going there. It's interesting how uh, this has become a practice. Uh, I'm not going to be overly critical, but I would want to question people who think that walking long distances is is a part of the Buddha's teaching, because it's really not. Um, certainly in, in the time of the Buddha they had to walk long distances, but it was important to recognize that uh, that can get in the way of your practice. It's harder because it's a, stren it's a it's stress on the body, and it's also distracting when you're traveling and having to um, familiarize yourself with your new surroundings and with the changing surroundings. So this, this idea of traveling as a, as a meditation practice, it can actually be a distraction from the practice. Much, much more difficult is to stay put in a quiet place and actually confront the problems, right? It's very easy to try and run away from things by constantly moving. It's a, there's a stories about monks who uh, can't take it at one monastery, so they move to a new monastery and so on and so on. We're moving. We're moving this, this, uh, this month, so something we'll have to we'll have to be aware of and and try and be very mindful as we move yati is number 7 so this is actual your relatives hmm? your children your parents this is one i get asked a lot is how to practice with your relatives particularly children i get parents who come and ask and say you know you talk about being mindful but what can we do when we have kids so we really have to understand that you can't have it both ways. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You have to have one or the other. And, and it's not to say that people with kids can't be mindful and even become enlightened, but you have to recognize that it's a, it's a impediment. And power to you if you can be mindful doing it. But you have to recognize that there's no easy solution. You can't be perfectly... Um, practically speaking, perfectly practicing mindfulness when you when you're caught up in in the concerns of your family. Right? Now it's possible in certain circumstances that you can arrange things so that you are able to get away. And uh, it's not even physically, but you have to also mentally get away. I remember once I had a a, a woman come to me many years ago now, and she said, uh, you know, she's having real problems with her son and. She, she hadn't practiced meditation yet. And she said she wondered if I could help her son because he is really misbehaving and, and really hard to deal with. And I said, sure, I'll help. Uh, you come and meditate. And I told her the best way I could help is for her to come and do a meditation course. And we 
talked about it, and eventually she did come and do a meditation. She did one course, two courses, I think, and after the second course, she came and I said, "How's your son doing?" He said, oh, "I don't care. Let him do it. He's let him do his thing." He was actually grown. Um, he was a young adult at the time, so she didn't need to take care of him physically. Um, but she she gave up the mental attachment and worry and concern, which actually, in the end, we tend to think is is to the benefit of both parties. Not just you become negligent, but you are less worried and less controlling and less concerned, right? But either way, no question that this is a, an impediment that you have to learn about. Not just children, but other relatives, you know, um, getting involved in their affairs, worrying about their problems, having to help them with your problems, with their problems. I mean, sometimes it's it's the right thing to do, to help them, but there's no question that it's an impediment. And so we try and find ways to at least temporarily put these things aside. In fact, most of these are, if not all of them, are unavoidable. It's just a matter of putting them aside, finding time to take out of our schedules, to, um, to engage in meditation full-time and full, wholeheartedly. Dhananyati abado is the, the eighth one, which means sickness. And so again, it's not like you should say, well, try not to get sick is, is good advice. But also be aware that sickness will get in the way of your practice, and there's not often nothing you can do about that. When you're sick, it can be a real impediment. But the other thing I would say, it's not hopeless, right? Especially in this example, when you're sick, it very easily becomes an impediment, all of these. But there are many examples where they are not impediments, where you have relatives, and you're even close with your relatives or your children, you're close physically, but you're just not mentally caught up in it, right? You're able to separate yourself. I mean, the real practice is ultimately being able to be free from mental engagement and, and worry and, well, defilement, really, or, or reaction, so that when you have interactions with people, you're able to be mindful. I mean, it's just very hard to do practically. And especially when you're just starting out, you, know, you really should take time to just avoid all of these things, get away from your family. You know, be find a time when you're really healthy and, and give up everything else, put everything else aside. But also, eventually, finding ways to make these a part of your practice. Right? So the, the higher practice is going to be when eventually you can deal with these things. Uh, it's important to recognize that in the beginning you really can't, but then eventually learning how to not make them so they're not impediments, so that your relatives are not an impediment, so that sickness isn't an impediment, so, so that traveling, you're very mindful even when you're traveling, it can be a very good practice. Number nine is gantha, which means uh, study. So this is the one that was mentioned. Study is, is up there. It's among the hardest, I would say, because your mind is... is unavoidably engaged otherwise. Right? Studying is not being mindful. You're trying to learn facts. You're trying to learn information or even um, interpret information, right? find ways to organize information. There's a lot of mental activity involved with studying. Now, you very much can use mindfulness. I mean, I, I think one of the good things about, one of the few good things that really came out of studying for me was um, you know, having this this uh, knowledge or, or the, this um, ability to say, to show, or this first-hand knowledge of how 
and mindfulness helps you organize your mind and helps you stay focused when you have uh, work that has to be done. So I got incredibly good grades and, and got an award and a medal and all these things just for basically getting not perfect but very, very good good grades. And a lot of it has to do with just being able to be mindful and not getting overwhelmed and not getting bored. I mean, boredom is a reaction. It's based on anger. It's, an, it's a disliking state of mind. or Not anger, but what we would call the, the anger category, the category of disliking or negative reactions. And so it's, it's on you. The boredom is your problem. And if you can overcome it, if you can change the way you look at things, it's able, you're able to do many things without getting bored, many things that would... Um, be very difficult for you to force yourself to do because that's what it would be is forcing uh, and turning it into instead just being and, and doing and being at peace with the doing right? so definitely definitely you have to put aside your studies uh, if you want to really get get involved with with meditation practice but when it's unavoidable and to the extent that it's unavoidable you you know you try and find ways to be mindful doing it Number ten and final one is is magic, um, and so this applies more, I think, to really advanced meditators. But not not, not always, you know, because supernatural, let's say, supernormal states. Um, but it, it definitely applies specifically to meditators, um, because supernatural, supernormal things are very much a part of the meditation. Uh, what do we call? Uh, paradigm I suppose or the, the 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 part of life part of reality that is meditation when we think of meditation is what I'm trying to say um, it was very much caught up in supernatural and when you engage in meditation there are many things that happen that we would consider supernatural even just seeing things bright lights or pictures or images or hearing voices or um, you know and it goes on like people talk about levitating or feel like they're feeling like they're levitating um, but hearing things that are far away or seeing things that are far away or um, remembering things that happened a long time ago or even in past lives, right? And, and, and all these many things that we would consider very much supernatural. And they can be a real distraction. It's important to recognize because this is a part of what we think of or the world of meditation, let's say, yeah, it's, they're, they're very much a, a part of what can distract us from what's more important. And important to point, these are not the path. This is not part of what we're trying to do, of, of the, the practice that leads to freedom from suffering. So, very much, very easily becomes an impediment. So the, the important point here is that all of these ten things can and do obstruct our practice without being evil things in and of themselves. Often they are things that, that we have to do as a part of our lives. But an important part of our practice is always going to be structuring our lives around what's essential. None of these things, I think, are are something that we have to put uh, our attention on as being essential. Like, oh, I have to fix this, or I have to engage in this, involve myself in this, in order to to find the, the you know the ultimate goal of life right? none of them are that and that's important because we're often taught that they are like family is important or study is important or money is important or 
even travel is important, any of these things, even magical powers are important. Many people, many teachers will, some teachers, many non-Buddhist teachers will say. And it's important to realize that that's not the case and, and try and find ways to, for many of these, put them aside, um, do away with them. And, and I think ultimately to change our lives so that we don't um, have to get caught up in these things because these questions about how do I practice the way you teach while doing this or that or the other thing and really the best answer, the, 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 core, the key answer is that you really can't. Uh, you have to find a way for many of these things to at least put them aside temporarily and uh, you know do your best when it's inevitable of course it doesn't mean give it up as as hopeless but beware be aware that it's not the same uh, to to engage with all these things and try and be mindful it's never going to be as effective especially in the beginning uh, as it would be to take time out give up all these things, go off to a meditation center and really dedicate yourself to the practice. Uh, so that's the first part. The second thing that I wanted to say is that, and maybe I've already started saying it, is that these things get, um, no, that meditation gets in the way of doing these things as well. And so when this person says, you know, I feel very bored, this is another consequence that you have to be aware of in the meditation, that not only do these things get in the way of meditation, but you'll find that the more you meditate, the, the harder it is to engage in the same way as you did before. So this restructuring, this changing of your life, in many ways happens naturally, and it's important to recognize and be aware and, and listen to that, um, because None of these things are ultimately important, they have ultimate importance. And, and that's the great thing about meditation is that it shows you that. It shows you everything you really need to know. Uh, it shows you what's important, it shows you what's right, it shows you what's good. It teaches you. And so the conflict that people find, you know, I want to study and I want to meditate, but the more I meditate, the less I want to study. How do I, how do I keep studying when I just don't want to do it anymore? And, and that's the point, is the meditation is starting to teach you that that's actually not ultimately important. And then you might say, well, then if I don't study, how can I, you know, just get a job and live my life? That's, of course, true um, in, in one sense. And of course, there are other ways to do without education, but there's nothing really fair about it. It's not like I'm, I'm telling you I don't have all the answers. If you go and do study, it's going to get in the way of your practice, there's no question. Now, does that mean you should drop out of school and become a monk? Maybe, maybe not. In fact, it might be a very bad idea to do that because you just wouldn't be able to be, be capable. I mean, being a monk or, or even living in the forest is not an easy thing to do. Um, but it's the fact of life, the fact of reality, that these things get in the way, and eventually you're going to be less and less interested in doing them. And for many people, that can be a real challenge. You know, the, the, if you don't go to school, if you don't get a job, how do you even survive? And of course, society makes that very difficult, um, and and it, it very much depends on your past karma. Sometimes your past karma just makes it very, very difficult for you to even find a place to practice meditation. There's nothing fair about it. You know, I'm not God with all the answers, and, and Buddhism isn't one of those religions that's going to offer you the solution. It can be very, very difficult. 
It's something we have to realize. I mean, there usually is a path open, and often, even if we don't see it, being mindful can change our lives very profoundly in a good way and help us to find a way to a way forward to be more mindful and to have opportunities to engage more with meditation practice. But sometimes it requires real sacrifices just because of the situation we were even born into. You know, we have to find a way to uh, restructure. doesn't mean we have to become Buddhist or, or leave home or this sort of things, but uh, I think these ten things are a good guideline. You know, so the sorts of things that we have to listen when our mind starts to say, okay, it's time to stop putting so much emphasis or involvement or, or focus or drive or ambition on on these things. So two sides. You know, they don't. They, the point is they aren't compatible. They, they get in each other's way. Uh, worldly things and, and the Dhamma. You know, it's important to understand that this isn't a path that is going to let you live your life as normal. The life we live as human beings, even just being a human being, is contrived, is artificial. You know, being a human being is, is something that has been created lifetime after lifetime after lifetime, as generation after generation, physically and mentally. We've created this reality of being a human being, but there's nothing special or, or uh, right about it. That's a very sort of theistic way of looking at things that we were created for some purpose and we really weren't. We just we muddled our way into this and, and it's very contrived and has nothing to do with ultimate purpose which goes beyond this life or, or this uh, state of being human. And there's nothing meaningful or important about uh, the way we have structured our lives, the way society tells us to live our lives. And there's much that gets in the way of actually seeing what is really true and real and and, and important and essential and so on. So there you go. Some thoughts on the relationship between the worldly affairs and the meditation practice. Thank you all for tuning in. Wish you all